everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, I'm glad I can take a breath and finally report back on findings that some of you have may have already heard. They're accompanied by new findings, however, they give some perspective on the issues of mental health that people that autism face. I've been wanting to report out on this first study for a while, or at least about when it came out, which is about a month ago. So the amazing Menchuan Lai from the Child, Youth, and Family Mental Health Institute and the Campbell Family Mental Health Research Institute at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, Canada, led a study of a systematic review and a meta-analysis of the prevalence of co-occurring mental health diagnoses across the ages in people with autism. I, for one, appreciate this because all sorts of numbers are being thrown out there in different studies. I don't want to get them wrong. In other words, one study may say 90% comorbidity and one may say 70%. So what exactly do I report? More important than me, though, it's important to be accurate when advocating for mental health services for people with autism. Scientists need to know not just the scope of the problem, but how these mental health challenges intersect so better interventions can be delivered that possibly cover more than one. Based on 25 years of data, Dr. Lai and his team, who I call amazing because he's not only just a great researcher, but an amazing clinician, wanted to know the state of the science. How do the co-occurring conditions overlap? Do they even overlap? For now, let's just talk about numbers. So let's start here. They started out doing searches in databases and ended up with about 13,000 records. Some are on websites or conference proceedings and not published literature. Some are not available in English. Some did not actually report out on prevalence estimates, even though that's what they were supposed to be looking at. This sort of confusion happens in these reviews. Some of them were duplicates. Some of them were included in the 13,000, even if they didn't have anything to do with autism. So they ended up with about 400, and then they excluded about another 300 because the autism diagnosis was not confirmed with an actual assessment using the ICD or DSM. Some had missing information, and some were excluded because after they read the whole article, they were excluded for the reasons I listed above, but they couldn't really get to that until they read the article. Then they rejected a few more because the studies needed at least 20 people, Dr. Lai had a team of scientists working with him because this is a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work. To do something like this is actually a gift to science because it needs to be done, but you're pulling together everyone else's data and that's not necessarily academically rewarding. Nobody gets a Nobel Prize for systematic reviews and meta-analyses, if you know what I mean, but they are critically important for the science. I hope someone does get a Nobel Prize for them one day, but so far they haven't. Part of a systematic review is something called a risk of bias assessment. Is it possible the authors got funding that would influence the results? This happens, but it is rare. More common is, does the group of people with autism represent the whole scope of people with autism? This was more the case. And in fact, part of being able to be included in this review was that you had to have a DSM or ICD verified diagnosis by a clinician. So that did exclude a lot of studies and made this part of the risk of bias issue. They had to take that into consideration when they included papers. So what they did is they compared those from registries to those from clinical studies. 
I won't bore you with the differences, but I'll get straight to the overall numbers. But the differences are important scientifically. The general rule of thumb was that the comorbidities or co-occurring conditions were higher in clinically assessed samples, maybe because those were the people that got themselves into a clinic and have more problems than those that don't, or those that have even access to clinical assessments to begin with. But the numbers below that I'm going to mention are a weighted average of the prevalence of co-occurring mental health conditions in people with autism, just so you know. So based on 89 studies, there was a 28% comorbidity of ADHD, a 20% prevalence of anxiety disorders. I know you're going to say this number is low, but again, these are anxiety disorders, not just presence of anxiety. 11% of the people had depressive disorders, 5% had bipolar, 4% had schizophrenia, 9% had OCD, 12% had disruptive conduct disorders, and 13% had sleep-wake disorders. Again, that number seems low, but remember, these disorders are ones that are officially diagnosed as a disorder in a system and not necessarily the presence of a sleep disturbance. There was a wide variability across studies in these numbers. For example, in ADHD, the numbers range from a 4% co-occurrence to a 63% co-occurrence. Why? Well, they looked at co-occurrences across ages, genders, and levels of intellectual disability. These things are called moderators. And age especially influenced things like ADHD, depressive disorders, bipolar, and schizophrenia. For example, depressive disorder and schizophrenia disorders become more prevalent with increased age. Same thing with ADHD, except for ADHD was more commonly a co-occurring diagnosis in kids rather than adults. Those with an intellectual disability were more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. In all cases, the differences across prevalence numbers like the 4 to 64% can be significantly accounted for by differences in age, gender, and intellectual disability presence. Not 100%, but a high proportion of the variability, which means these co-occurring conditions differ across age, gender, and presence of an intellectual disability, which is also very clinically useful and important to know. But that's really the trees, and I want you to see the forest. The presence of co-occurring mental health conditions I listed are high, higher than that in the general population. In the words of the authors, this means, and I quote, that mental health assessment should be an integral part of clinical care with regular screening, evaluation, and treatment done as part of an ongoing support for individuals with autism. The approach to treatment and support should be personalized and holistic instead of treating psychiatric diagnoses in isolation. Acknowledging that autism increases the risk of major psychiatric disorders also necessitates clinical attention, especially during youth and transition ages when the probability of developing these conditions increases substantially. This careful approach to assessment and care of mental health in people with autism has not yet been incorporated into real clinical settings. Even though mental health promotion has been endorsed by individuals with autism and their families as a top concern. But why are there co-occurring mental health conditions? Why are they there? 
Well, from other studies, scientists know that there are overlapping heritable factors, including genetics, that may account for the co-occurrence of these conditions. Environmental factors also play a role, and I'm not going to specify which ones, but there are environmental factors that account for ADHD and autism that are in common. Unfortunately, this study needs to be done again in the future. As the diagnosis of autism is changing, and so does the way mental health co-occurrences are diagnosed, evolves over time, so does this sort of study. But science just can't wait forever to do these systematic reviews and meta-analyses to provide information to help mental health clinicians identify and provide services for those with ASD. This study needed to be done. It had been 25 years of data. It needed to be summarized. Well, guess what? In five to 10 years, it'll need to be summarized again. Thank you to the researchers who undertook this grueling and sometimes academically unrewarding analysis. More than just the numbers, though, these co-occurring conditions cause mental health crises in many people with autism and their families. They can involve hospital inpatient visits and ER visits. The police get involved, and not to mention caregivers are incredibly stressed. Not a lot of people really studies these mental health crises. The autism inpatient collection does, but that's a very specific group of people. However, researchers at Kennedy Krieger use data from the Interactive Autism Network, which is more of a community sample, to collect data about mental health crises that have been experienced. The mean age was about 14 in people who had experienced a mental health crisis. Parents or caregivers are asked to capture the severity of events, pick a single behavior that was the instigator of this mental health crisis, and the ability of the caregiver to manage the behavior. The researchers found that about 32% of the sample experienced a mental health crisis in their child or themselves. That's across all age groups. It was highest for children, then a little bit lower for adolescents, and then a little bit lower in young adults. Why the difference? Well, it could there be that there's a real difference. It could also be that most families in this interactive autism network had young children, and so they're the ones that filled out the survey, so it might be slightly biased. But so that's one third of families across age groups. What were the behaviors? Tantrums, physical aggression, elopement, and suicidal thoughts and behaviors, and of course, self-injury. Self-injury was actually on the top of the harmful behaviors list. Does that surprise you? One thing I want to point out here is that anxiety was actually on the top of the list of the concerning behavior but not actually what was the behavior of interest. Anxiety was listed as part of the problem in most cases, but not necessarily the behavior per se. Anxiety wasn't the behavior, it was self-injury. It was elopement, but anxiety was involved somehow. It was a condition that the parents felt precipitated the event of concern. Since this was a parent or sometimes self-report, it was what the parents perceived as being the factor, not necessarily what was the factor. It's hard to deny that panic attacks aren't the result of anxiety, and given the high levels of anxiety from the lie study, which was a conservative estimate, anxiety, of course, must be intertwined with mental health crises. Another important part of this article is that almost a quarter of the children were not engaged in mental health services, and a comparable number or less were not using respite services, in-home services, or crisis hotlines. Now, who knows if these things could have mitigated the particular mental health crisis in question, but they certainly have been shown to reduce mental health crises in general. 
Recommendations that the authors, including Roma Vasa, a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Kennedy Krieger, who's also an expert in anxiety and first author of the study, has its quote from her and her colleagues. It's important to routinely monitor the acuity of a child's behavior problems as well as the family's ability to manage these behaviors. Clinicians can encourage families to proactively prepare for a crisis by becoming familiar with their local acute care services. From a system standpoint, developing community-based crisis care programs could reduce the risk of crisis. For example, something called START, Systematic Therapeutic Assessment Resources and Treatment, is a nationally recognized wraparound crisis prevention and intervention service and has shown the ability to improve the quality of outpatient mental health services, as well as reduce psychiatric emergency room visits and hospitalizations with people with developmental disabilities. I want to point out a program in Eugene, Oregon, which just received press because they send out mobile mental health care units, not just to help with people with autism, but people with all mental health issues to avoid being put in a crisis situation. In the words of Bethany Frankel, hashtag this is a crisis, hashtag this is an autism crisis, hashtag this is an autism mental health crisis. Mental health is a real thing and science needs to keep moving forward on improving care for people across the spectrum and even off the spectrum because those people are important too to provide help for those with real mental health problems. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.